It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 409 for September 7th, 2014. This week, Quattro was derided as a knockoff by Lotus in the 1980s, but after all these years, it's Quattro Pro that survives. After shrinking for decades, cell phones are now becoming larger. In short circuits, it appears that Home Depot is the latest retail operation to be hacked. A quick follow-up on a couple of free applications mentioned last week. Another quick update on my troubles connecting a Seagate hard drive to a Netgear router. Offline fraud comes to your mailbox. And nude celebrity pics push Apple's stock lower. A company named Borland developed Turbo Pascal, a programming language, in 1983. It was my favorite application for writing small DOS-based utility programs. Then Borland created a Lotus 123 clone called Quattro. In fact, it worked quite a bit better than Lotus 123 did, so naturally Lotus sued. Borland had copied the menu structure of Lotus 123, but the underlying program was new. Just as WordPerfect was pushed aside by Microsoft Word, so were other spreadsheet programs losers in the marketplace to Excel. Although Excel has largely buttoned up the spreadsheet market, the current version of Quattro Pro remains in Corel's WordPerfect office suite. Novell had acquired Quattro, Paradox, and WordPerfect, but wasn't able to market any of them successfully. Eventually, all of those applications came to be owned by the Corel Corporation in Ottawa, and they formed the basis of the WordPerfect Office suite. You might be interested in a little bit more of the backstory here. Lotus claimed that Quattro could not copy Lotus 123 menus. The company had included Lotus 123 menus as an alternative interface to allow macros that had been designed to work on the Lotus product to run in Quattro. Borland used the automobile argument in court. Most cars operate in similar manners, even if they're not exactly the same. Lotus could not claim ownership to the operational characteristics, they said. A district court ruled for Lotus, an appellate court ruled in Borland's favor, and the Supreme Court was split four to four. One justice recused himself. As a result, the appellate court ruling held as a victory for Borland. But by the time the case had been resolved, Borland no longer owned Quattro Pro. It had been sold to Novell. The release of Windows 95 brought new versions of Word and Excel, and within a few months, Novell decided to sell their applications. In 1996, Microsoft reached 95% penetration of the market for business applications. But market mastery doesn't mean that the products are better than those of their competitors. What's past is prologue. William Shakespeare wrote that in The Tempest, so let's fast forward to today's Quattro Pro. In case you've ever wondered about the name, Quattro is the Italian word for four, and Borland's implication was that Quattro was one better than Lotus 123. Generally speaking, Quattro Pro will open Excel spreadsheets with ease, There are exceptions. I have a large and complex Excel workbook with nearly a dozen individual worksheets, 
all of which are just full of formulas that modify data within individual sheets and across multiple sheets. Attempting to load that workbook into Quattro Pro caused the application to crash immediately. That actually is better than what happened with Apache OpenOffice Calc. It appeared to be loading the sheet, but then crashed after churning for 15 minutes. Those who must deal with large and complex documents, whether from Word or Excel, will almost certainly be better served by working with Word or Excel. That said, few Word or Excel documents can be characterized as large or complex. Quattro Pro is more than capable of handling most spreadsheets created by Excel. One thing that might be a little surprising when you open Quattro Pro is the number of sheets that are present by default. Most spreadsheet programs open three sheets by default, and I always modify the default so that just a single sheet opens. One is all I need most of the time, and it bugs me a bit to see two unused sheets. Quattro Pro opens an entire alphabet of sheets by default, 26 of them, A to Z. And oddly, I don't find that that bothers me. If you need more than 26 sheets, you can add them all the way up to ZZZ. And assuming I did the math right, that would be something like 17,576 sheets in a workbook. 26 times 26 times 26. Quattro Pro also provides project templates that can be used in place of blank sheets. These templates provide a basic format and structure for common types of work and data entry forms. Users can also create their own forms. Users who have switched from Excel can make the transition easier by enabling the Microsoft Excel Workspace Simulator. When this function is turned on, Quattro Pro features such as toolbars and menu items are rearranged so that they simulate their locations in Excel. Regardless of whether users enable the Excel Simulator, Quattro Pro makes it possible to save spreadsheets in Excel format. Quattro Pro can open files from Excel as early as version 3 and all the way through 2013. And this includes the XLSX files and any macro-enabled XLSM files. But it's important to note that what you see on screen might differ a bit from the Excel view. When saving files in Microsoft format, users are limited to XLS versions, not any of the XML-structured versions. Quattro Pro includes all of the formula functions and tools you'll need to create standard spreadsheets for budgets, invoices, and the like. The function library addresses the needs of specialized users, too. Engineering, finance, statistics. Like the other parts of WordPerfect Office X7, Quattro Pro doesn't have a ribbon interface. For some people, that will be a negative. But it'll be a welcome feature for others. You'll see an example on the TechBiter Worldwide website of a personal budget template. And I also have a shot that shows the behind-the-scenes part of the budget template. There you'll see the macros that do all the heavy lifting. All you need to do is fill in the numbers. If you want to save money without relying on OpenOffice or LibreOffice, the WordPerfect suite is a good choice. And if you need to accept documents from users of other applications, the WordPerfect suite generally does an excellent job of importing those files. Microsoft could make the process of importing its files by other programs easier and more straightforward. It could do this by releasing information about the XML file formats. Don't expect that to happen anytime soon. 
The bottom line for Quattro Pro is five cats. It'll do everything you need to do and more. As with many applications, Quattro Pro has far more features than most users will ever need or learn about. Today's programs are so feature-rich that the usual response to questions about whether something is possible will be yes. Well, unless you ask it to do something absurd like squeeze lemons for lemonade or corral the cows and bring them in for milking. You'll find additional details on the Corel WordPerfect website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. If you're old enough, you may remember when cell phones had dial tones, and when they were the size of an attaché case. For many years, smaller was better. Phones became so small that the buttons were nearly unusable. Now they're growing again, and bigger seems to be better. Don't look for any phone the size of an attaché case again, though, and don't expect a dial tone. We have entered the age of the phablet. Part phone, part tablet. Imagine holding a paperback book up to your ear. Samsung is leading the way with phablets such as the Galaxy Note 4 and the Galaxy Note Edge. The Edge is curved and has two touch screens. The original Note is the phone that was responsible for the term phablet because it's a phone, but it's nearly as large as one of the smaller tablet devices. Apple is likely to join the fray next week in the phablet market. That'll give Samsung the opportunity to accuse Apple of copying its designs again. Screen resolution for the new Note 4 has been improved, but the screen remains the same size. The camera has also been upgraded to a 16-megapixel device, and the phone includes image stabilization to reduce blur caused by camera motion. Cameras, phones, do you call it a camera or a phone? A famera, maybe? The camera that faces the user has even been increased to nearly 4 megapixels, so that'll allow better selfies. The Note Edge is, as somebody on the Monty Python comedy show might have said, something completely different. The phone's case curves toward the back of the device, and the curved edge has its own touch screen. Why? Well, consider it a place for your favorite apps to live. Or consider it a notification bar. Consider it a news ticker. It could serve all of those purposes. Expect the Edge to be even more expensive than the basic Note. Samsung hasn't revealed prices for the new devices, but it refers to the Edge as the premium device. And we all know what that means, don't we? In short circuits, it looks like Home Depot is the latest retail operation to lose customers' credit card information to hackers. The investigation is continuing, but the evidence seems to point toward the home improvement retailer. You might wonder how investigators figure these things out. Actually, it's a lot simpler than you might think. 
The process involves identifying a group of credit cards that have been compromised and then trying to find common locations where the cards were used. The latest batch of victims seem to have Home Depot in common and the stores stretch across the country from one coast to the other. Hackers sell stolen credit card information online. Investigators buy a certain number of accounts so that they can track the information. Security expert Brian Krebs, who frequently has been the first person to report security breaches, says that the thieves have developed better methods. They can now provide the cardholder's postal code, along with the card number and the PIN. Card information that is sold with the postal code commands a higher price because the people who use the stolen card information can use the card to make purchases in the owner's home area, and that can short-circuit bank anti-fraud measures that flag transactions made far from home. Krebs says that most of the cards tested were in the same postal code as a Home Depot. That could make the problem far worse than the breach at Target stores. Home Depot has more than five times as many locations as Target. Even worse, the crooks may have been siphoning off data for more than four months. Home Depot says it became aware of the problem only this week. It's investigating. The company hasn't yet confirmed any information. Last week's program was all about free applications, and I offered a couple of cautions when downloading free applications. Both of those warnings were apparent in responses I received from readers. Uh, two applications called out specifically were GimpShop and CPU-Z, so we'll take a look at some of the possible problems here. But first, let me repeat my warning from last week. When you're searching for a free application, there are two cautions to keep in mind. First, a Google search for a free application almost always returns an advertised link at the top of the list. Sometimes the advertised links are okay, sometimes they're not. I always avoid them if the software developer has a site, because some of the advertised sites will attempt to install malware, or they'll just simply load additional applications along with the free application you want. And second, some developers, because donations aren't providing enough income, agree to install extra apps with their programs. There's nothing really wrong with that, as long as the installer program explicitly calls out the additional applications, or browser helper object, that's going to be installed. In too many cases, though, that information is obscured or entirely hidden, unless you choose custom installation. So always choose custom installation, so you can see exactly what is being installed. I said I heard about a couple of applications, GimpShop. Between the time I wrote about GimpShop and the time the article ran, GimpShop had changed from a simple installation to one that could include extra features. This triggers a warning from Avast and probably from other anti-malware applications. The GimpShop website, though, clearly explains how to avoid installing any of the extras. That's a plus for GimpShop. If you follow the instructions, only GimpShop will be installed. I don't really support or agree with decisions by developers to take that route, but I understand that the developers may consider this to be the only viable option when people who use their applications refuse to support them in any way. And I heard that Norton Antivirus claims that the CPU-Z application is malware. 
It didn't trigger any warnings from Avast. As best I can determine, there is no reason to believe that any of the applications from CPUID contain malware. Still, the previous two warnings apply. If you feel the application you're considering might contain malware, the prudent decision would be not to download or install the application, regardless of who recommended it to you. Even me. Remember the saga of the attempt to attach a hard drive to a Netgear router? Well, after 72 days, the problem has finally been completely resolved. The Netgear router was unable to recognize a USB 3 drive larger than one terabyte on its USB 3 port. Neither Seagate nor Netgear looks very good here, but at least Netgear's technicians had the persistence to continue working on the problem long after Seagate simply blew it off. A Seagate technician simply dismissed the problem by telling me that Seagate external drives were not intended to work with routers. At Netgear, they knew better. They knew the drive should work with their router. The issue progressed from level 1 tech support through levels 2 and 3, finally to engineering. New firmware for the router partially solved the problem in that the drive was recognized on the USB 2 port. After some additional investigation, a technician at Netgear asked me to try a different USB 3 cable. That seemed an unlikely fix because certainly Seagate wouldn't ship their drives with substandard cables, would they? Well, it seems they would. When I bought a new USB 3 cable and used it to connect the drive to the USB 3 port on the router, the drive was immediately recognized. So that's two black eyes for Seagate. This next item isn't an account of online fraud. In fact, it may not be fraud at all, but it is something that calls for caution. This week I received what looked like a check for $69,750. I shredded it and threw it away. If you've received one of these, there's a link to an article in Inc. magazine that you might want to take a look at before doing anything with it. That link is on the TechBiter Worldwide website. In part, the article says this about these little checks. A merchant cash advance, also known as credit and receivables financing, is essentially the business equivalent of a payday loan. A business owner is advanced a cash sum, usually less than $150,000, often within a week and without the amount of paperwork required by banks. The merchant agrees to pay back the principal plus a fee, which is typically at least 25% of the total amount advanced, but sometimes much more. The MCA provider collects the money by taking a portion of the business's credit card sales until the debt is paid. As for whether this can be considered fraud, the article's authors concluded that it probably couldn't be. 
Writers Elizabeth S. Bennett and Natasha Tiku spoke with Paul Marchus, president of Marchus & Associates, a research and consulting firm. The article quotes Marchus. As the industry has grown, so has the controversy surrounding it, he said. The word unscrupulous comes up a lot in this business, Marchus said. Some providers advance as much money as possible, regardless of their customers' capacity for debt. Some have even changed their billing practices without notifying business owners. You know, governments used to have laws against interest rates as high as those quoted here, 25% or more. If you need money desperately, you might get a better deal from the mob. headline for this one is nude celebrity picks push apple stock lower you have no idea how much fun it was to write that headline you also have no idea how confused i am by that headline but i do have this clue for celebrities and for those who are not celebrities if you think that you would be embarrassed by having nude pictures of yourself posted to an internet site you should avoid storing such photos in locations where others might find them Maybe that's blaming the victim, but I, I don't really think so. Why did it cause Apple's stock prices to drop 3%, though? Maybe the drop was partially the result of Samsung's announcement about the new phones, the phablets I mentioned earlier. But part of the drop is the result of concerns about the security of Apple's online storage. The photos were stolen from iCloud, apparently because celebrities, at least some of them, aren't bright enough to create strong passwords and then protect them. Apple says that its systems were not responsible for the breach, and I'd have to agree with them. Until this week, I had not heard of the Sequoia Digital Audio Workstation, but the fact that version 13 has just been released may suggest that I haven't been paying attention. Magix, the developer, says that it's intended for use in production, broadcast, and mastering. Sequoia sells for 2,500 euros. That's about $3,300. So you're probably already on the phone to place your order. There's a screenshot from Sequoia on the TechBiter Worldwide website. This is clearly a system designed for use in a broadcast setting because it works with various broadcast content management systems. Sequoia 13 has a beautiful user interface and specifications to match its magnificent price tag. Because it includes video import and export functions as well as video capture, this is an application that is not limited to audio. Take a look on the TechBiter Worldwide website. It's pretty. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the weekly podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. All music on TechBiter Worldwide is licensed under the Creative Commons, and information about performers is on the website, www.techbiter.com. 
I'm Bill Blinn, and if you'd like, you can also send me a message from the website. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you again in a week.